want to make a podcast, let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters. And it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Backburn Podcast is brought to you by Bogey Dope. Bogey Dope will help you launch your aviation career. There's a whole host of pilots, both military and civilian, that have figured it out, and they're there to help you launch your aviation career. Click the link down below and check out Bogey Dope. Altitude. Altitude. Seat tied, Altura Zero Eyes, we're clear for takeoff, clear for the airspace. Five projector, close to the front, the front, the front, the front, the Welcome to another Bro Chat, the joint venture between the Kodiak Shack podcast and the Ackburn podcast. Today, Vader, Bender, and I are joined by Billy Flynn, who's got over 40 years flying fast jets. He was a senior experimental test pilot for the F-35. He's been a guest of mine on the Ackburn podcast twice. A lot of great content and discussion with Billy, and I'm excited to have him here on the Bro Chat. We're going to hit a lot of topics today. But before we get rolling in, as always, thank you to my Patreon supporters, half or rather the first 30 minutes of this episode were Patreon uh, supporter questions. So if you're interested in supporting the podcast, if you have questions, if you want to get a little bit deeper dive with the podcast, consider to click the link down below. That'll take you over to Patreon. Also, thank you to everyone who has dropped a rating or review. Each and every one of those is very helpful. And I'm grateful for those who've taken the time just swing over to iTunes and Spotify and now YouTube to like, comment, review, subscribe, do all the things there. Taking that few seconds helps the podcast out. Well, that being said, let's jump into the episode with Billy. It's <laughs> it's so rude because it is a nice webcam. Ender's got the upgraded mic. He's got the headphones now. Really official. Does it track your face? Is that what? No, 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 no. I don't. I don't have the rain set up. I have the. <laughs> Yeah, I, have, I, have, I have the fifth gen webcam. That's the <laughs> only thing I have I can claim to fame. But gents, uh, I think the intro here belongs to Vader on this one, even though we got kind of rolling. So Vader, it's uh, it's over to you there. All right. Well, uh, hey, everybody. And uh, welcome to another bro chat with uh, Rain, the uh, the true host of this one. And uh, myself, Vader. And then we've got Bender. And today we have uh, Billy Flynn, who's uh, rejoining rain but uh joining bender and i for the first time so uh hey thanks everybody for being here and uh as bender did previously we'll thank the uh, rain's patreon supporters because that is a big deal <laughs> <laughs> billy thanks for being here. that uh that yeah exactly flow, <laughs> right yes just keep your way i think billy you're you're treading dangerously close to becoming a co-host on the afterburn podcast look, look I, I listen to you three guys go on every one of these bro chats and it's remarkably amusing <laughs> um, it's a good way. Time, so I'm I'm happy to be allowed to join you for a day and to chat. 
Well, uh, thanks for taking the time. It's been a little bit of a scheduling uh, juggle as everyone's, you know, the holiday season traveling around. Vader is again, stepping back in time into the Eagle and all that stuff. So we can hear about that today, but I wanted to kick it off some Patreon questions. I think this would be a good one. And it's awesome to have Billy on here because he's much smarter than the three of us. And this might be a great one for you. So fence in Billy, because what do the bros think of John Boyd's philosophy? especially his focus on reforming defense acquisition to win the next war. Who's the 21st century John Boyd? Will acquisition become a barrier to effective sixth gen acquisition and force modernization? How do we keep the acquisition from getting in the way of constraining operators' ability to employ weapons that will win the next war? That's a lot there to unpack, but I think we all can attest we have felt the struggles of the acquisition process when it comes to getting the new things or the most effective items to go out there and fight and just do the job from day in and day out, as we usually gripe about how terrible the IT system is, for instance. But Billy, what do you think? I'll throw the little ticker tape there on the pre, uh, bottom Look of the, the video. Yeah, that might be more distracting than anything. I don't oh, know. There you go. Uh, um, I, there's no easy answer, right? We have, we all collectively in our time flying have seen programs uh, uh, get fielded quicker than others and some that we really wanted to to field in big numbers never happened. Look at look at it, Raptors, right? 700 something in the beginning, then whatever it was, 380, and now ultimately 189, and really not all of them are combat coded. Um, F-35, we all lived it. The topic and the theme of concurrency, trying to field jets right away as you're developing them. So you get them out in the field and you start learning about the jet early on, and then hopefully mature the the technologies as time goes on, as uh, the operators get more familiar with the airplanes, there's better ways to fund it. Is it a fixed price contract? And you force the contractor to fit in a con in within the bound bind boundaries of a contract, or is it uh, cost plus? So the contractor gets paid for uh, all the changes along the way. Um, the analogy that I use, because I hear it in my house, because we do lots of renovations, I explain to my wife that program creep is exactly what happens when you bring a contractor in to work on your house. When they come in in the beginning, they'll give you an estimate and they'll go, hey, look, it'll take me four weeks and it's cost this amount of money to redo your kitchen. And sure enough, they start and then someone in the household goes, hey, I want you to put a wall here and I need you to put some cabinets here and I need this other electrical outlet put here and all of a sudden you're a week later and it's going to cost that much more and then and two weeks in the same thing happens sort of thing happens again and you know you're it's taking you twice as long and twice as much money and that actually happens a lot with development programs they start with with a, with a great idea and somewhere along the line stuff gets added on time goes on and all of a sudden you're way late and you're way over budget um i don't think there's any secret any answer. And I read lots about people that have great ideas. Will Roper, who, when he retired, talked about uh, basically century series, putting out airplanes quickly and in, in rapid succession without the long uh, development lines. I don't think you're going to find any perfect answer. There are some programs that do well. Go to Phantom Works in Boeing, go to Skunk Works and give them a project to do. Get out of their way, like the great Kelly Johnson used to preach and let them do their thing and they won't get mired in the government bureaucracy and they'll come up with a product perhaps better than you imagine. But, but that's not always a, a, the perfect way to develop stuff either because neither of those organizations are production organizations they are really prototyping organizations. So 
you know, is there a way to do this better? Mm, probably not. Last thing I'll say though, is you need to stay the course. So everyone bra- uh, blames secretary Gates for canceling the Raptor, but there's a lot of people behind Gates that fed him information that ultimately led to that decision, including guys in uniform, guys and gals in uniform, blue suitors, right? Air force people contributed to ultimately the decision to cancel the Raptor. You need to stay the course in the long game. And that, that in today's age, that's, you need to stick with F-35 and F-35 for year upon year upon year. And when other stakeholders come in because time's moved on, they have different agendas. They're from the state of Washington and they love Boeing and they don't like Lockheed Martin and they they just happily hammer F-35 and cancel it. So you, you really have to have the long game in mind. And if there had been a long game, there'd be more, there'd be 120 B2s and there'd be 380 Raptors out there and we wouldn't be in the sorry state we are in now. Does that help as an intro? I think it does. I'm curious, the simpleton mind of my mind, like, can we talk KC 46 and like that acquisition process? Cause it sounds like the news is like, it's they're like, they're getting Boeing's getting hammered. Cause that is a cost plus correct contract. Or what, what is that in comparison to what we're talking about? Well, like the F 35 or can you compare those two? Well, you guys have said it. It's a seven, six, seven. Tanker. So, yeah. It's been Seriously. around for a while. This is not, this isn't a, a clean sheet airplane. There is no part of this that Boeing gets off the hook for. And, and we, as the, as the operators have to wait for Boeing to sort this out. Well, we have KC one thirty fives and KC tens out there, this incredibly old tanker fleet that really have a strategic um, imperative for us, right? We need the tankers. And now we're waiting for a, what, a rejuvenated 767? Seriously, how does that happen? That's a great question. I don't think Boeing's going to sponsor the podcast, but yeah, I mean, it, it is something like so, like it is a 767 that's been around. Like how do we, how do we get to that? How do we get to this point 20 years later where if we peel back the onion, what can we point the finger at? 10 things, one thing, five things. No, you could have pointed a thing at a program office and at the, at, at we, the government, the, sorry, the customer hammering them from the beginning. Absolutely. We have a responsibility as the people buying them to have put their feet to the fire early on and not allowed that to happen. Cause initially the contract was awarded to Airbus, right? Initially. And then yeah. some lawsuits happened and we backtracked so that, I don't know. I think that backs it up another 10 years or so. So, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that we don't have that capability now, just like you're saying, I think at the end of that question, he says, you know, how do we avoid the fight? I think he mentions China, but in the future, and I think you nailed it, Billy, like that could have been avoided in 2008 or nine when they decided to cancel the Raptors. If we had 700 Raptors, I don't think we'd be talking about, you know, the Taiwan Straits the way we're talking about them today. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, I think you really have to, I mean, you peel back the onion and ultimately like the way our defense industrial complex has built with Washington. I here here random term limits. If we threw term limits in, we might solve a lot of these problems. But you know, the fact that they get a vote over and over again in the way or not they get a vote, but everyone gets a vote. But you are getting reelected. You need money to get reelected. The only way you're gonna get reelected is usually by having big companies support you and doing the, I don't know, it, this gets to be a very complex problem set. I think now you like, you can't 
undo and go back to the way it was to move this forward any faster. I don't know. Look, here's what we do need. We need um, two engine manufacturers. We don't want a monopoly on that. We need multiple airframe manufacturers. So we, we have th- really three now, right? Northrop Grumman's back in the game. We don't want to be like in Italy or Spain or, or BAE in England, which has a stranglehold on, on everything, or in Germany. It's now Airbus Defense, but mixed with France. But we don't ever want that. And and if we have to throw contracts to to Boeing with T7 to keep a lifeline so 17,000 people can come to work in St. Louis and, and be gainfully employed because the Hornet line is dying and F-15EX wasn't really going yet, then we do have to do that. Like at some point, we're going to have to throw, throw a lifeline for engines at GE because Pratt has pretty much had a monopoly. And oh, by the way, they've had a stranglehold on contracts for F-35 and those negotiations all along the way, knowing that they were the sole engine manufacturer. We have to keep spreading the wealth in that sense. Because if we don't, then we really run the risk of not having the capacity to, to be able to arm ourselves and build the, the fleets that we are going to need as a nation, as the, the warring nation in the world. I just have, I have a random question. How hard would it be to bring the F-22 line back on? I mean, I've heard, I know that's not going to happen. Pretty much impossible. Right. They talk about how heavy of a lift that is, but how heavy of a lift is it actually? I think it's all been dismantled in that other side of Marietta across the field from where the C-130s are built. Everything's gone and, and it's outdated, right? What was, when was the last Raptor? I, I, I was around when we were chasing it, but it's, that's a long time ago. And a lot of that technology is so old compared to what we've learned. Look at an F-35 production line when you get a chance, if you haven't, to go to Fort Worth. That's world-class production and, and Raptor was never really that at lo- that level anything as sophisticated as that i don't think you can bring it back i think one of the things about it is i mean i don't think anybody argues that anything can maneuver much better if not equal to the raptor you know so we have this platform that is wildly capable and maneuverable and everything and maybe we don't need that maybe it's just exciting to see it but you know i think a lot of people the 35 has tons of capes but then you see the Raptor do what it does and you're like, that's impressive. Like it's hard, it's hard not to be impressed, you know? It's magic. Yeah. I'm an F-35 air show guy and I watched the Raptor demo this summer and I just, it's just so eye-watering. It's, yeah. it's such a level up beyond anything an F-35 could do. It really is astonishing. Yeah. Uh, one day. All right, switching gears here a little bit. Uh, this one was directed at Bender, but I think, Bill, you probably can jump in on the last half of this. And it says, Bender, are you flying F-35s full-time, part-time? On average, how many sorties a month do you fly? Is that enough? you feel it's enough to be proficient? And what is the most fun training mission in F-35? Uh, so I fly full-time, so I'm a, an activated reservist. AGR is what they call it. Um, so, and then that, for me, at least to stay combat mission ready, I have to fly, I think, six stories a month and then two tactical sims. So simulators, and they're supposed to be the equivalent of a sortie. So you're supposed to take off and get to the airspace and fight and then land and all that stuff. So eight eight counters, I think, is what is what the minimum is. I probably do eight to ten uh, counters, depending on 
the snow. <laughs> so some days I'll take leave and go skiing instead. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. So the other part of that question, hey, so th- there's enough flying and there's, in fact, there's, I could fly more if I wanted to. So Hill does a good job of providing lines to fly. Um, as far as the quality of the training, again, I think probably Hill is, I don't know. I think Ileson has the best airspace. Hill's got pretty decent airspace. Um, and they do, again, it's a big operation. We've got three giant squadrons. So they put up enough of a front, meaning there's 10 to 12 of us that'll go in a single go. So you can get pretty large fights, uh, as well. So the training's pretty good at Hill, I think. Um, what was the second part of the question? So what's the most fun training mission at 35? This is, and they said, I'm talking about when you get out of the jet, you're thinking, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Um, I like big exercises. So I hate going to red flag because there's a lot that comes with it. It's like everything <laughs> in the fighter world that you, there's a lot of a pound of flesh, uh, to get the good stuff. So I don't like red flag in a lot of ways, but I love giant large force exercises in the F 35. Like that's when you, when you're fighting other F 35s, you know, you don't really get a feel for like how dominant it can be in a red flag scenario where you're fighting a bunch of fourth gen and even some legacy fifth gen, no offense. Uh, you can <laughs> dominate and it feels good. So you're like, Holy crap. Like I see everything. Uh, I can, I wish I had more missiles, but you know, we talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> but that's when you're like, this is a sick jet. And, uh, so I like that a lot. Um, the coolest it can do. Uh, so we do a lot of like vertical maneuvering. I like that a lot. that's really fun. So to, to stand the thing up and the F-35 has a lot of thrust. It can't, you know, the turning, it bleeds at all, but if you're straight and you're in full blower, you can, you know, you're looking out the, the canopy, you have to avoid the canopy bow that's in the way. So you have to look to the side, which is unfortunate, uh, <laughs> but to see how high your nose is and the earth is just falling away from you is that's pretty righteous. So I dig that. Uh, I love it. Billy, was there something in particular flying the F-35, you know, mission that for you is like, Hey, this is awesome. It's a slightly different world doing the test and making it all come it was, on. You know what? When I had 10 minutes to go play, and do anything I wanted to do, it's pretty impressive to maneuver that jet around and just pedal turns and stand it straight up, going straight up and do anything you want to the jet, knowing that it you can fly with reckless abandon. Uh, I, I always love that part of it. I guess for both you guys too, like, you know, I only have the experience with an AOA limiter. I imagine not having an AOA limiter would be kind of a nice thing in a multitude of situations. It's nice when you don't have to like think about, so you're like, don't get yourself in trouble, but when you want to pull more and you know you can do it, it would be nice to command more AOA. For me, and you guys talk about it a lot, which I always laugh. I go, you need some Hornet guys to have this in this conversation. Um, it, to me, it's it's a Hornet and it flies like a Hornet. It behaves every part of the flight control system logic is a lot like the Hornet was, right? So <clears throat> if you're dumb enough to pull too much, then you're going to be a... a you know, a balloon sitting there waiting for everyone to, to drill you. But it allows you that AOA, it, it, it's a, a, a pitch, it has a pitch capability that's really impressive. And when you choose to use it, it's there and you're not stuck in a limiter. So I flew jets with limiters like a Raptor or sorry, I'm sorry, the Viper. But, you know, I flew Typhoon that had a limiter and you sat there and raged around all day long, pinned at the back, 25 Alpha when you really needed more hoping you can get around the circle faster than the other guy, but it could never bring the nose to bear. And and what the what F-35 does it is it allows you to do that. It's a lousy rate fight, but guess what? If you understand that mentality, if you're a 
I'll give credit to the Marines, a Marine Hornet guy. The transition F-35 is pretty easy because this jet behaves a lot like the jet that they came from. And, and that's how they, that's how they fight it. So to me, it, it, it's just a, it's just a better Hornet in, in, in a lot of ways and how it, how it flies. And by the way, how it lands, it, 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 to me, it's a, it's a Hornet mentality, um, uh, on speed AOA, hit the auto throttle and land that way, put it at the end of the run one way and plant it on and, uh, forget the, the Viper flaring, like we're all used to and bouncing down the runway and less than half the time, do we actually do it properly? Uh, just put it down the end of the runway. It's got amazing flight controls for when the gear's down, unlike the Viper. <clears throat> and, and so fly it and treat it like a, a Hornet. And then it will seem less awkward in the transition to it. Excellent. So you guys will understand, you know, how you do, we do six Ks. So a BFM engagement where you start at 6,000 feet in the Viper. And most of us would go straight to guns when you'd get pretty proficient. So as soon as the fight's on, you'd pull your nose uh, and just go straight for the gun. And the problem with that in the Viper is if you, it's hard to bleed off here. So you're on the limiter and you're trying to get your nose out front to gun them. Like that was the that was the difference between the guys who could like really do it well and the guys who couldn't, they just couldn't get their nose out in front to gun. Uh, and then they'd have an overshooting problem, but Billy solved that in the F 35. So you can just point at the guy. And then if you don't get your nose out, you just override the limiter and it puts your nose in front and it bleeds off all that closure. So you can just, you can do a straight to guns from 10,000 feet. We do it all the time, which is awesome. So uh, that part is, it's good for the Viper guy. So if you have that, those have patterns from a Viper and you, you know, fly with, like Billy said, reckless abandon and get it, you know, a thousand to two, 1200 feet and are comfortable there. Then you can, that knows it's really helpful to be able to pull that thing around. And unless you're in a B off. model and forget, you don't have a gun pod, right? Yeah. I don't know what gun pods do. You could probably cant those things up, right? Get another 20 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> so I don't know the, this is, there's a lot of rumors flying around the F-35 community and I like to spread them all. But one of them is that <laughs> the archers that we've done, and this might be different now, but when I first started flying the F-35, they still had yet to hit a banner uh, with the gun in air-to-air, like air-to-air gun testing. So they don't know where the bullets go. Uh, so everything looks good, and then you squeeze the trigger, and the bullets go straight, but they just don't know where that straight is. Uh, so they haven't hit a banner yet. So the joke is that you can get into an air-to-air engagement and you can shoot your 181 rounds, but you know, unless you're pointing randomly at the right spot, you're not going to hit anybody, which is probably good for me. Like I can put bullets around jets all the time. I've tried <laughs> putting the batter on, so maybe I'll hit something. It's just really scary for whoever's out in front. Is it weird with the the helmet? I heard it first, you know, the, you know, the Viper, the HUDs. I guess I've only shot the banner once, and I honestly don't remember. I don't feel like the HUD shook, but you know, when you're strafing, especially in the beginning, like insulations flying up from the left side of the jet and I don't know. It's just fast. Is it weird strafing with the helmet or shooting the gun with the helmet? You know? Yeah. The symbol, I mean the, the symbology, all that stuff is different enough that it feels pretty weird and it's not stable at all. Like the, you know, the HUD's pretty stable. You're not very stable compared yeah. to the HUD though. So there's a jittery there, but yeah, it's weird. You got, I mean, the symbology is kind of moving, even though you're, you can see on the, the thing on the ground's not moving that much, but, you don't want to aim at the thing on the ground. You want to aim at the symbology. So that gets a little funky. 
at least the things I've hit, I've had to aim at the symbology. So you, and you got to have a good source that's generating those coordinates. Put the thing on the thing, not the thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want thing one, not thing two. Or <laughs> <vice> versa. <laughs> oh, it's all these little things. All right. Uh, this one would be good to have Billy here because I don't think Bender or Vader have experience with this, nor I, but talking about air to air refueling. This should be an easy one. Boom or drogue. Air Force uses the boom. But still, which one's better? Are there any particular memories? Was it different? And what, what, Bill, you got a favorite between doing the boom or the drogue? Uh, boom refuelings for kids, manly refueling is probe and drogue. It's, <laughs> it's night and day different. Remarkably hard. So, uh, you know, for the non aviators, flying formation with underneath a big airliner and staying in a, in a cube in a box to have someone extend a probe uh, into the receptacle in our spine isn't really all it, it, it okay it's formation but it's really not that hard but probe and drogue is remarkably hard <clears throat> and the easiest airplane ever to do probe and drogue is the f-35 hornet was easier uh typhoon was pretty good f-35 is that much um easier but you're trying to uh from pre-contact so let's call it what a 10 feet away, you're trying to get your probe into this Babington uh, basket, Babington birdie, big size one. And and historically, uh, you fly behind with some reference behind the tanker, whether um, whether it's a KC-10 or it's a it's it's a wing pod off a off a KC-135 or a KC, or I said KC-10 or a KC-130, and you try to stabilize the platform that's there. And hope that as you approach, the bow wave moves the pro, the basket over, pushes by the air, and and you connect. And as soon as your eyes look at that basket, it's so funny to watch when you're in neck you're next to somebody refueling. The nanosecond they their eyes look at that basket, the jet starts to move, and they start to PIO. Um, and 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 so for everyone, it's that's hard. That's clear air. It put yourself in turbulence. Um, and in all oh, night and all of it gets bad and it gets super hard. And there's lots of cases. We certainly had that in combat where you, you know, you painted a bomb on the left side. And when you ripped a probe or damaged a probe, you got a probe painted on the right side of the jet. Um, F-35 is unique in, in that, in this sense that, uh, so probe and drogue, I've talked about all these things moving and you use a reference and you've got to get a bow wave to move. So the probe connects, uh, F-35 is a first airplane where, when you get in it to do probe and drug refueling, the mentality is I'm the only one stable and everything else is moving. Because before you, the Hornet guy, the super Hornet guy had to fly a reference and, and fit it into whatever that airplane was doing. Uh, this time we assume that we are not moving and it's, it's all moving. And we try to let it all stabilized then um, refuel. It takes a lot of patience to do it. And there's just so many, everybody's got stories. Often it's at night, it's in horrible weather and you need the gas and you're squeezing. So Well, it's the same for us, right? Uh, uh, even on boom refueling, you're squeezing so hard that you're making that side stick turn into molten plastic. <laughs> you're so terrified uh, of, you know, getting in a basket or, or getting into the, the basket or not. So uh, no, no, no comparison at all. B and C model probe and joke to an A model. A model is a cakewalk. 
it almost seems it almost seems needlessly difficult you know it's like why, <laughs> why make it so tough you know it's probably <laughs> to make the boat landing i guess not seem as painful like it just exactly. keeps the pain threshold high enough yeah wow. at least i'm not uh probe and drogue refueling right thank god <laughs> it sounds it sounds terrifying yeah, no thanks I, but i guess you have to have that you know so you can have the super hornet tanker take off and hold above the ship you know when someone bolters for four times you know again these are all reasons to not ever land on a boat and for that matter take off from a boat you know i'm just saying uh i was <laughs> i can think of i know you guys probably have stories like holding on the wing of like a 135 or one the tanker's like hey our autopilot's an op or we're going to do this autopilot off and you're like no why do we need to do this or when like autopilot's on, you're like, you're holding, you're like, I know I'm level. And you just see the 135 porpoising 150 feet up and down. You're like, well, this is going to be fun. So <laughs> yeah. the drogue part. Yeah, I, love, I, re, I still remember being on the boom and feeling like we were climbing and then looking through the HUD and seeing the flight path marker, like a degree above the horizon. And I'm like, we're climbing. And then I, I like see the tanker start like moving down. I'm like, Oh gosh, here we go. Like, <laughs> and you just kind of like ride that wave throughout. So frustrating. I don't think the 135 now, like they always have autopilot problems. And I think to this day, someone's going to chime in after they listen to this, I'm sure. But like below 10,000 feet with whatever block, like the new block, like it's, autopilot and op and has to be hand flown. Granted, you're not doing tanking down there, but it sounds like there's a couple issues with that. So yeah, uh, I mean, that's the autopilot's the thing that purposes the stupid airplane. So autopilot yeah, off is sometimes the gift, you know, yeah, it's Perfect. Yeah. turn that crap off. <laughs> yeah. it's, true. it's very true. This is the last uh, listener question I have. I think this one would be pretty easy for all those who've flown around the, the sandbox quite a bit. But uh, this one's like, Hey, when I used to fly around Iraq and Afghanistan, I would hear, military aircraft calling Karachi ATC, for instance, and they would say, proceed tactical. Can you guys explain what that means? I'll take it. That just pushes yeah. a tactical frequency. You, so usually you're, tra it depends on where you're coming from, but you're transiting with air traffic control and then areas like Iraq and Afghanistan, Syria at different points at different times of different conflicts. That's going to be controlled by military controllers. So by pushing tactical while you might be talking to Pakistani air traffic control or some other nation air traffic control by pushing tactical, you're going to push over to a military controller. And then subsequently you might be working with an AWACS, which is going to clear you tactical again. And now you're just going to be talking to a joint terminal attack controller inside whatever area of operations you're working in, et cetera. So I think that's how that tactical term, at least how I, I used yeah. it. So. You know, this always is tactical. Uh, I mean, I don't always know. tactical. Right. I don't Never fence out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, this is super petty, but uh, maybe you guys will understand what I'm talking about. I always get annoyed when I tell ATC what I'm doing and then they clear me for it. And I'm like, hey, switch in frequency. And they're like, oh, you're cleared to switch frequency. Like, I wasn't I'm asking. Like, like, I don't care. Like, I've already switched at that point. <laughs> That's right. But now I'm going to stay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. No, those, I think those are some good questions from the acquisition, you know, piece of it, which again is, I mean, that is, that's a, that's several books in and of itself. And how do you fix that? So just scratch the surface, but Billy, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about that. And then, yeah, just some good Patreon questions. So thanks for supporting the podcast. Look at that. Thanks, Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> people love Patreon. 
<laughs> the, so uh, think, what oh, do you go got? ahead. Yeah, oh, no. Vader, you go. It's, it's, Vader, you get the talking stick. Yeah, I, uh, well, I was going to say, you know, we've been talking about all these advanced fighters. And uh, you know what I've uh, come to appreciate is not having to go to submenus for switches now. Like, uh, you know, where it's like, hey, go to like this menu page and then go to this sub page and then click the button to go from like X-ray to Yankee on your air attack in. Instead, it's just like a steel switch. And you're like, that's nice. That's convenient. You know, the uh, I've heard pushing buttons in the 35 is uh, not always awesome. It's not. <laughs> Fat fingering <laughs> buttons is a that's a real thing. And <laughs> I can't ever hit a zero to save my life. It's always eight. I don't know why. <laughs> I think it was a joke. Maybe the engineers like slightly moved the touch screen for the eight larger than every other button is, but it's a laser. It's a laser plane, right? Like your finger breaks the laser plane to touch the screen. I have no idea. Billy. Yeah. So it's it's not like, it's it's not like your iPhone. It's not, it's not the touch here. You're breaking a, you're breaking an IR plane with your finger and where you take it off is where it's actuated. Yeah. Because we're, we're using gloves. So where you remove your hand from the IR plane is actually, so you could break the plane, move your finger to the right spot and then release, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's yeah. what I do. If it's, if it's like bad weather or night, I'll just like plant my finger on the screen, look at whatever else I'm looking at and then drag it. So the thing I'm trying to hit. In the, in the C model, it, it, it's got a horrible bounce from the nose gear. And when you're taxing out, it's impossible to type as you're taxing and, and I'd actually have to put my fingernails at the top of the PCD, the, the display to, to center it or to hold it. And then I would be typing with my thumb because it's bouncing along the way as you're taxing along. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to type. Is the voice activation like I've, I've heard once you get used to that is decent, but apparently not. I mean, I don't know. Terrible, I have I'm, a Canadian I'm accent, an Aussie accent, an American <laughs> accent. It never worked for me. I have never heard of anybody using it, so <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's a feature that is commonly explored. Do people use Siri? Like, I don't use Siri on my phone, which now is going to chime in on all of ours. But that's one. Like, I just haven't come around to like saying, "Hey Siri, set a reminder for this." Which, yep, there it goes. It just chimed in. It's gonna be a long reminder. So I wonder like, if that is a difficult thing to. So it, I'll, I'll tell you that the base of, of the, the root of the algorithms for F35 is the same thing. It's, it's the same as Siri. Now, in F35, it doesn't get fed to the cloud like the billion users of an, of an Apple iPhone, which enhances how good Siri has become from way back when to now. I don't use Siri either. So you don't get feedback from the cloud, but really the, the engine is the same as was developed for Siri in the beginning. And I know that because I I shit all over a guy in a conference one time when he told me that he was the guy that was responsible for voice, you know, voice activation. And I told him how it didn't work. And he said, like, sorry, but you know, it's as good as an Apple phone minus the feedback into the cloud. But I, I don't use it. I didn't use it in Typhoon. It had a different algorithm in Typhoon, Typhoon or a different logic, but it didn't work there either. And doesn't work for me in F35. It must be my half Canadian accent. I don't know, but I can't get it to work. It seems hey. like nobody can. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. Hey, here's a random thing. Uh, best friend, Fiddy Tucker, he was staying at my house this weekend, F35 guy. But Billy, so there's a couple clips of you from the last episode. 
which one of them, which I, I don't know if you can classify as viral, but it'd be viral for this podcast. Uh, what is talking about the fighter pilot performance. And we knew there's gonna be people that chime in with like, uh, you know, prima donnas, et cetera, which are a couple of those comments like to be expected, but there's a lot of likes, but apparently there are several people in that OW is it OWS world, the physical therapy world that, that saw it. And I think they now they want to have you come, come speak. Cause one thing Fiddy and I were talking about was the life support conference where there's no operators that show up to the life support conference, but all these decisions are being made without operator input. And then you get product. Hey, here's the product. And there's the ship sailed. There's no going back and we're 10 years down the procurement process. So sucks to be you. It really, there was one female fighter pilot from Hill, uh, rig force. And you know, I chatted with her before when, one of the speaking conferences or one of the presentations, but there's no fighter pilots there. They're physiologists. Lots of people walk around in flight suits, but they're not wearing pilot wings and you know, they're not operators. So how could they possibly know what we need? And that's masks. That's, that's LPUs, right? That's flashlights. That's every piece of kit that we use. Tell us about parachutes and what's new and tell us about new ejection seats and let us get in the argument. Do we want, do we want to continue with a Martin Baker seat or do we want, a Collins seat. I, I want to, I'm an operator. I, I want all the operators there to understand so there can be an educated conversation about it. I don't want some folks that are working in our best interests, but never been in a jet, don't know what we really need. The, uh, does the 35 has this, have the same lip light as the F-16? Cause I know it's a different helmet. I don't know if the mask is the same. They're working on it, but they don't have it right now. So there's a, there's a backlog and maybe the backlog has been uh, corrected, but for the F-16 for lip lights or for the general, like 55 P mask lip light for anybody who's never used a lip light, uh, think about, obviously you have, a uh, the controls and the throttles or throttle, depending on air crew, what aircraft you're in. Um, and so your hands are kind of occupied. Uh, so you can't like turn on and off a light very conveniently. And back in the day you used to like Velcro, what's that? Oh, you used to Velcro, uh, like little lights, like finger lights is what they call. And you click them on and you point at what you want to look at. Uh, and then somebody came up with the idea for a lip light and effectively it's the light is on the front of your mask. So wherever you're looking, the light goes, and then you can click the light on and off with your lip or your tongue or whatever you're going to use, uh, probably so to speak somewhere in there. And then, uh, they were all backlogged. So then somebody came up with the idea to 3d print these like huge cubes that now sit on the front of your mask. And they were like lip light problem solved. But again, not getting the end user feedback. Uh, I finally was like, Hey, you understand, like I can't turn that on without touching the front of my mask to turn the light on going back to the controls and then turning the light off. And they were like, is that a problem? I'm like, that was the whole point of the lip light. I didn't have to do that. Like, but it's, you know, not getting the complete, the you know picture problem set from the operator yeah, uh, the f-35 the night night operations are so different than they were in the f-16 and that's part of the tactics we fly pretty far apart and the night vision the envis is not very functional not functional i would say for me at least anyway so i just have all the lights on in the cockpit of an f-35 anyway maybe that's bad if you know people are shooting from the ground but i'm pretty high i don't think they could hit me from that direction or that distance Still. Yeah. So anyway, I have like the, the canopy or whatever those little, what are those eyebrow lights? Is that what they're called? Anyway, so those are full blast. Everything else is, is pretty full blast. 
so the lip light, I don't miss the lip light. Um, so that's the, that's the F 35 version of night. I mean, it's just be huh. as bright as you want. Basically a lip light was like a no go item for me. My oh, yeah, Viper for sure. Yeah. One of my worst sorties ever was a night red flag on departure. My lip light went out and I was like this, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it. And then there was no chance of a zero three recovery, like the runway zero three, right? Zero three. And during the vol, they swap runways, which for those who haven't been to red flag, especially at night, that is the worst recovery like, cause it's like an arcing approach, which like, how do I do this? I haven't done this in a while. Like the final and they're like lining up on the run or on the taxiway. That was a terrible, that's a terrible experience. No lip light and that approach. Now where you want to be. Yeah. I went, I, when I was at the FTU at Holloman, I went two separate FTU classes of nights, which is normally five to six weeks long without a lip light. And, uh, I got back in and one of the like guest flyers was like, you legitimately should not fly until they fix that. And then, uh, a week later they gave me the, the janky, like 3d printed lip light, which was nice, but did not solve the problem. I had multiple sorties where I'm like, I want to go home. I'm done. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm so over this, like I'm not having a good time. But. Yeah. Viper, flying at night in the Viper. I mean, that is probably the most task intensive, I mean, just labor intensive flying. I would think that you can do, maybe there's some special ops, low level helicopter flying information. That's pretty rough, but a four ship of Vipers trying to operate, you know, at night is that's, that's pretty rough and scary at times. One question I had about, so now that I'm flying in the C model, I have to figure out like my new ways of like flying defensive BFM and like looking back and everything. Uh, so I always would use the block 50 had the glass for the HUD, I could kind of put my hand up there and kind of turn myself because there were no canopy bow or anything. Does the 35 have like a good way to kind of reorient in the seat while you're fighting? Yeah, it has a, they got a little, the canopy bow has little handles. Handles? So I just grab the opposite one and you can pull across and look. Yeah. But the problem is the helmet just like falls down. If you do that. <laughs> so if you look like outside of, you know, 45 degrees, then. And it's baseball hat-ish. So it has like a, I don't know, like a little bill. And then like the comes DU down. kind of shelf on it. Yeah. But for it, it's, it's way worse. Yeah. Oh. Than the DU. So, so how do you do so defensive you BFM? You try not to get there, which is you know, the 35 <laughs> is designed to get there. So oh, that's yeah. Tough. yeah. I don't uh, know. Check and extend like an eagle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Check and extend. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. T- tell us about that Vader. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I am, it's funny. Somebody posted on one of the Kodiak shack, uh, podcast, uh, videos like on YouTube, they, they were like, Hey, you, you seem like you're not really excited about flying the C model. And I was, and I, I tried to explain it. Like, it's not, it's not exactly that I'm flying the C model. That is not exciting. It's that I'm not good at flying the C model. So, you know, I, obviously, obviously Billy and uh, Bender were talking about the F-35 and you can kind of fly with reckless abandon. Uh, if there is a plane you cannot fly with rec- reckless abandon, it is the C model, the F-15C. Uh, you you have to, care and feeding is part of the game plan to the point where, you know, so you have up to 50 units, uh, what's called CPU or cockpit units of AOA, which is different than true AOA. 
roughly subtract 10 plus or minus three is the, is the exact calculation I've been told. That's uh, a classic yeah. formula, isn't it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You're yeah. running nah. those numbers. They told me maybe, yeah, to, to, well, to, we'll edit that out, but, uh, <laughs> the, uh, but either way, um, but really you're not flying at the max extent of the CPU or the cockpit units available. So I don't know if the 35 can just live its life at 50 or 60 units, uh, but you're really living in that like 30 high thirties, low forties. Uh, so there are a lot of times where I will ease off the back sick pressure and the controls to quote, break the AOA. But what I'm really doing is going from like 47 units of AOA, which is doing nothing to 42 units of AOA, which is also doing nothing. And then I'm like, why isn't this thing flying? And most, most of my like audio during the fights is like, come on, girl. Oh, Jesus. You know, and the jet's like <laughs> flipping off the wrong direction and stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, a lot of it is ha- being in tune with the airplane, you know, the, the, mice on the wings and the the moderate wing rock and the heavy wing rock. So far, I don't notice it. I just am watching myself get gunned and I'm like, move, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Does how does that comp- have wing rock? I mean, does it, you get elephants on the wings? I'm pretty significant. Well, it's got Buffett. Uh, I think we use it to tell us how the jets fly in. Uh, it's nothing like, so many other jets that were it's nothing like a t-38 but yeah there's buffett there yeah that's only my experience yeah, the t-38 which i thought was like kind of nice you know having that feedback to a certain extent the viper is kind of like it's getting really quiet oh man i'm really slow right now falling <laughs> leave <laughs> yeah dang it be better i have no, like, the- I, I remember the f5 which is just a glorified t-38 I remember the an IP in fighter lead in training going. You know, if you, if you pull just a little harder, we're both going to die, as the elephants are pounding on the wing. Right? Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah, take it to the limit. Just find yeah. the line. Yeah. Don't go over it. The line of death. Smack four in the airplane. No big deal. It's like Top Gun Maverick. It's a seven and a half G, but it's going to be a ten G pull out of that canyon. Yeah, you know, a bunch of A seventeens just lighting up the sky, you know, just take to the limit. I like how oh, yeah, they just in in training just over G'd the heck out of all those planes. <laughs> like maintenance would be like, again? Like 10 G's? Like what oh my gosh, you know, like that we must just, have cost so much. We just scrapped 12 jets this yeah. this week straight to the boneyard, put them on sticks. You know, one thing, because the C model it's, it's not fly by wire. It's, it has like hydraulics, you know, so you're making an input into what's called a CAS, uh, which is like a, we'll call it like a poor man's flight control, like a flickus, like a flight control system where it doesn't run the show. It just helps get you more uh, surface deflection. So more rudder deflection, more aileron, more stabs, but you still make the inputs. Uh, but what it doesn't do is like take in these like inherent aerodynamic problems that happen. Like as you slow down through like low corner and all those, the jet will kind of like lean to like list to the right or list to the left. Does the F-35 have any of those characteristics? Like, Hey, under a lot of alpha, as you slow down, does the jet just like keep the nose track smooth and keep you, you know, in the relative lift vector that you had? I'll answer answer just for fighting it and then I'll just talk about what it's supposed to do. Oh, there you go. Send it. Yeah. 
I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm the ham fist guy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it feels like a Viper to me in that regard. Like you, the Viper has some, it gives you a little jittery wings. I think when you're like, if you're trying to sustain airspeed in like a, like a hot in or whatever, hot turn, you can feel in the Viper when it starts to shake a little bit, you'd start to bleed knots. The F-35 does the same thing, but that's about the extent of the feedback. Like you can rip the thing to, and AOA overshoot and get really slow and it just it's so it's just nice it just falls or whatever it does sinks it doesn't like tip off or anything like that there's no feedback like that you just kind of do your thing and try not to hit the floor it's a pretty honest jet it, it really has fabulous flight controls it's a great department in Lockheed Martin um flight dynamics as they're called they, they really are rock stars in terms of engineers that know how to do flight control system. They had history with um, F-16. They did thrust vectoring uh, way back when. They did uh, a Raptor um, and probably some other projects along the way. And they really, really knew what they were doing. And they've done a really amazing job or had during development of finessing the flight control system to make it fly as honestly as it did. Uh, I really dislike the 35 Alpha limiter. It, it came in sort of uh, backdoored by some good friends of mine, Marine test pilots who uh, did classic. Yeah. They, they did BFM, a couple Navy lieutenants and Marine major were doing BFM early on in the C model and, uh, and harped upon it and then backdoored the process and knew who to go uh, talk to in the flight control engineers and got the, uh, got the limiter in before the rest of us could stop it. Uh, I like the jet before it had it. It, it, it and, the, and the limiter really does help. It keeps you honest at 35 alpha and um, lets you fly all you want. And then, and then when you need it, just to go beyond that's not not hard. And what it probably does is save guys and gals from going right to 50 alpha too early and getting themselves, you know, becoming a zeppelin out there and and pissing away all their energy early. So it probably does have some effect. I'd like the I liked the jet better when it didn't have a limiter. Is there uh is it kind of like the Raptor? I've heard people talk about how the F-22 has kind of like a soft limiter. So you pull back to the limiter and then as you exceed the soft limiter, that's where you'll actually get your AOA excursions and stuff. Or how, how do you actually access that additional alpha? Yeah. Bender, do you use it? Do you pull past the limiter often enough? Yeah. Every, every BFM fight, I'll usually do that a couple of times, just depending on the phase of the fight. But yeah, we... I exceed the, cause it's the paddle, I'm pretty sure, or a button. Anyway, yeah, we call it the wind button. <laughs> Give me more. Are you doing that? You're not doing that in like a stack or a tree, whatever they call it. No. Like if you ever, you're not, cause you're not trying to stop the jet. Like, no, I, yeah, I'll only do it like when I'm, yeah, end game of a pretty aggressive, like pulling for the guns, then I'll use it. Or, I mean, it's pretty awesome. It's the best part of, the F-35, like the fighting slow speed close aboard is awesome. It's a good time. So if you, you know, if in a Viper, you would never, you know, that's why the 6K straight to guns is so risky. Like any heading crossing angle, it exceeds a certain amount and you're screwed in an F-16. But an F-35, like you can, it's really forgiving because you can just squat that away and pull past that limiter. It gets your nose lined and then you're completely out of energy, which is what you want when you're, you know, 1200 feet behind somebody. So in that, that regard, I, that's when I'll use it just to kind of align 
my nose and and uh stop closure end game but if you used it like in a stack or something like that i mean it's just gonna bleed all your you don't you can't the energy loss is pretty significant i guess i'd say like you wouldn't climb out of it like you wouldn't set your nose pitch like a stack and then be able to climb out of it or just no it cost you too much to do something like that yeah yeah it doesn't stack it doesn't stack like a viper stacks like a block 50 it's just too heavy i think so the first time i yeah oh good Oh, the first time I stacked against not another F-16, I was like, this is amazing. I stacked <laughs> against a legacy Hornet. And then like out of nowhere, I was like 6,000 feet above him. I was like, this is pretty cool. Like this stack thing really works. <laughs> Which I try not to, I try not to compliment Navy things, but uh, I feel like the Hornet is kind of like a great balance, you know, fl- having flown the F-16 and then now flying the F-15C, you look at it and you're like, wait, there is a flight control computer like the F-16 that can just allow a plane to fly like an F-15C. And you're like, why wouldn't you want that? Like your computer can help you pull AOA and help you do rudder turns and help you do all that stuff. Like, uh, yeah, I would buy that because I am terrible at that stuff. I tell you what, it's not good. So Billy, I assume you're a big fan of that kind of the the Hornet uh, flight control system. Especially go back, uh, well, that's so... You really to date me, right? I, I flew it 40 years ago, the first time. And and it was just so eye-watering because you could do absolutely anything with it. It'll let you go out of control, but it'll come back in control. And I've told the story of departing the F-35 and it was like, mm, back to being a Hornet. Um, <laughs> and, and guys who are really good, the A model was the best of them because it was the lightest. Um, yeah, you could stand this thing straight up on it on straight up on its tail and rudder over at slow speed. Now with um, a flight control, the flight control logic that really is a product of what went into Super Hornet, it's even more departure resistant. And it, it's a fabulous, such a simple airplane to fly and fly aggressively and be good at it within what the F, F uh, with the, what the Hornet can do. So different than the Viper where you're just stuck on a limiter and you're just going around the circle fast, trying to go faster than everyone else. And rudders don't do anything. You know, rudders matter in a Hornet. They, and they really, really help you slow speed. Yeah, I the, used them uh, in the demo to slow down. That was about it. That's probably not, <laughs> probably not a flight control approved uh, maneuver. Just stop it on the rudder, trying to rejoin with the Mustang. Um, I got a, I got a question for Billy. Yeah. Sorry, Ray, you're going to go somewhere. No, no, no. I, I, I want to I get to the, you, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not a crazy question. This is the Neanderthal, obviously version of the question. If you like the F 35s engine is massive. It's awesome. Like it's got so much thrust. Why don't we just put it in a block 50? Like what happens? What do we trade as far as like, you know, surviving? Uh, If you get that much thrust, you know, like you could put some, there's a lot of thrust in F 35 engine. If you put that in a block 50, pretty light airframe like that, like what happens? Is that, is that a bad idea? Yeah, it's just too big to fit in there. And there's too much logic that goes with it, right? <clears throat> so FADEX are an entirely different generation than than what we had in the Viper. Even even in uh, Block 60, which had 132,000 know, pounds of thrust out of that monster engine, you just can't, <clears throat> you can't fit it all in there. And the logic that goes with it and everything that drives, the, the, so that the AI that goes into running that engine, you can't put somewhere else. It, it, when you look at it, so Ben, I don't know if you've gone to the engine shop and looked at it, but it doesn't look like we're all used to looking at fighter engines and they're relatively fragile. We get it, right? That And the the fan blades in the first 
couple rows are all so finely tuned and we know that every stage along the way everything is so finely tuned and the f-135 is so much more like a commercial engine it's so much what's more robust than anything that we are used to and i think the prat leverage their experience with commercial engines to finally put them into a military engine so you don't have to baby this thing like we did in all the engines that we've ever flown in in our military career and i when i talk about it because i get asked a lot of questions about one engine versus two in the arctic and across the ocean i always go hey look it's more like a commercial engine than anything that any of us have ever seen it and it's a incredibly smart engine right so um the health system in f-35 looks ahead and it's preventative in a sense prognostic in, in a sense that it's looking ahead at what it might need you don't wet, have to wait till five thousand miles to change your oil it's looking ahead saying you know what in this many hours based on how you're using it you're going to need to do this to the engine and oh by the way the engine in the airplane right next to it isn't being used the same way so it's not going to take the same maintenance cycle along the way uh all throughout that engine it has that kind of logic in it and redundancies upon redundancies uh, that just don't exist in any other previous generation. Really an offshoot from F-119 and Raptor where Pratt got a great start at it and then just made it that much better. And like it's 43,000 pounds of thrust. Dear God, that's a lot of power. Yeah, it's Perfect. awesome. Dude, What's the so freaking well, heavy. I'll, I'll tell you one yeah. thing that's really interesting. So we had an in-thrust vectoring and Bender knows this, but you guys are all used to looking at the back of the back ends of an engine. And when we light the afterburner, A8 is where the afterburner starts. And then we open up the back of it, right? And that's A9 as you work through the sections of the engine. But in F35, it was actually the same in the thrust vectoring engine that we did in MATV back in the early 90s. A8, so the beginning of the afterburner section, it moves also and does the back of it. And uh, the fuel efficiency of, of being able to control that second last stage of the engine and then through the nozzle in is significant. And it's where we get the efficiency in this engine that was never available in any previous generation of fighter engines. It's really one of the remarkable things about this engine. What's, I'm ignorant, what's, there's an, I know GE's obviously competing. We talked about, you mentioned two motors. Uh, there is a term out there like for like next generation, like engine or adaptive engine. What, what is that program? You know what I'm talking about? There's something the secretary of the air force was, I think it popped up like six months ago and I might just be off down a rabbit trail and you can cut me off. But, um, the whole program to have an adaptive smart engine, it was the next, next version of this. And maybe it is Pratt and GE competing for the F-35 replacement engine. Is this crazy? Well, I'll tell you one, a couple of things of it. It's a it purported to be $6 billion for a GE engine to go in there. That's the equivalent of 72 F-35s that would be on the ramp right now. And if anyone thinks that a brand new engine will be developed seamlessly, let's go back to block 30 when the F-110 was put into the Viper and ran into all the oil problems before we eventually figured out how to manage that. Uh, anyone believes that we won't lose a jet or trash a bunch of engines developing a brand new General Electric engine to put in an F-35 is terribly, horribly naive. And we've all been burned with F-35 development to know that nothing works like you planned. So 
six billion dollars or 72 f-35s on the ramp to me that's pretty simple math when we don't have enough fighters out there right now that it is true that we need more well, vendors going to need more power uh, more electrical power generated by the engine moving through to tr3 and into block four okay and that's not going to come from the engine the way it is right now so something has to change either significant improvements to the pratt engine which you've probably read about or you somebody would make the bad decision of putting in a whole new other engine in there and then you would get the the power generation to drive what's going to be needed in the jet because it won't be satisfied with the uh, engine the way it is right now that's my sure. start i'll let the rest of bender yeah that's i mean that's really interesting we don't i mean we don't get us think about that kind of stuff we don't talk about that kind of stuff you know i had no idea that the engine that there was a power issue electrical power issue from the generation of what we have now and how that affects block four i mean block four is really important to the f-35 because right now the f-35 it's great like it's tactically you know it's really good it's the best option for surviving in a in a, an advanced environment but it's not it is not what it is meant to be as far as its weapons capabilities and all the things that it can do so right now it's kind of like a gen 4 weapons it's a gen 5 or a generation 5 aircraft rather fifth gen with fourth gen like fighting capability you know and that's unfortunate when it gets its full capability i think then it's going to be you know that's the good stuff and so i, I had no idea that the, it was reliant kind of on future development of you know the motor and stuff i know there's one of uh, the pilots in our squadron he he was a dt pilot for the f-35 just got hired but you know he's got good things to say about block four but also bad things to say about the kind of the dt timeline for it and how delayed it is it's probably stuff like that that goes into it but just like so frustrated with how long it's taking to get the thing you know advancing so we'll see what ends up happening it'll it won't be me i'll be by the time you know, it's fully, like it's fully capable. I, I probably will be, you know, doing something else is my guess. It's unfortunate how long these things take. You know, I feel like, you know, Billy, you probably didn't get to see the programs that you worked on get as far along as you would have hoped. And then all of us are going to be retired by the time the stuff that we're looking towards actually becomes a reality. And it's like, man, be sweet. You know, if we could roll them off the line faster. No, oh, it's so frustrating. So I joined Typhoon at the beginning as a German and lived in Munich. And uh, we, we had seven prototypes that were called the developmental aircraft DAs. And we Germans had the first jet and the fifth jet of the seven. And I thought I'd be flying my butt off, like these brand new airplane, brand new program. We're going to be working seven days a week. And <laughs> none of that ever happened, right? Unstable avionics i have a thousand strap-ins for 200 hours in in a typhoon because nothing ever worked and then you come to f-35 and mm, that wasn't a great start that wasn't a sprint from the beginning like everybody promised it was just crawling not crawl walk run it crawled and crawled and crawled <laughs> and in the end we did pretty good but wow it took a long time to get going with just so many heartaches to get things working some of it's just really hard regression when we had um, a legacy program and a federated systems like an like an eagle like in a hornet like in viper if when you upgrade a radar then you just upgrade the radar and so the work you do the soft the regression you do is to look at the radar but an f-35 just like raptor you know everything's so integrated and fused 
that regression, even in the system integration laboratories. So, you know, in Fort Worth and the laboratories, just that work there is exhaustive because you, you have to test so many elements of it. And inevitably, you're going to send out a software re release that's going to have lots of bugs in it that are going to found, be found by OD or as soon as it gets to the squadrons. And you can't avoid that and you can't cheat the very long, painful element of that regression. And we, we certainly tried an F-35 along the way. People wanted to make it quicker and more efficient. And there is no quickness to it. And there's no efficiency to it. It's just so painful. So getting block four going with really magic that Bender hasn't seen yet, that I hadn't seen, but by all accounts is so eye-watering. That's just beyond painful. And and we should look back at Raptor. Raptor used to have a saying, it was seven years of seven days a week when they couldn't get the airplane stable and they couldn't make fusion work and nothing was happening, right? They parked a general officer in the combined test force of the F-22 to supervise what was going on because it was so troublesome and it just wasn't going anywhere. And we really aren't much different in F-35. It's just remarkably hard. The smartest people put them all in the room and it's just really hard to do regression and make sure you checked off all the boxes and then go fly with it, you know, and hope that's going to work, which it's not going to, which sends you back into lab and all of that's really hard. Is there, yeah. is there any argument because I feel like what we keep doing is building, uh, and I'm stealing this from, I think, Paco and whoever else, but like we keep building exquisite technology after exquisite technology that takes decades to produce, like rather than just like, you know, sop with camels or, you know, P-51s where it's like, hey, it's minimal, but man, we can produce a lot of them quickly. And it's, we don't have all of this iterative process to get it out the door. Like, is there something to be said about just a cheap alternative to one of these amazing platforms, but platforms that take a long time to make. Oh, so I'll, I'll start and then we'll ask Bender how many people he kills every time they go out in, a, in an LFE and slaughters, you know, everyone out there. I've flown the airplanes with compromise, right? I flew Typhoon, I flew Tornado first, which is just a heap of crap. That is just an astonishing effort by the navigator and the, chauffeur in the front to make work the amazing crews that made that airplane no part of that airplane is elegant and i came from a viper and a hornet before i went to it and it just told me what engineering compromise was like and then i flew typhoon which is as mediocre as you could ever imagine for an airplane that had such an astonishing amazing future when i joined it it would have been raptor like had the potential and they just gave up just to get airplanes off the line. They just checkmarked all the boxes in engineering and said, let it go. And it's nothing now today like it promised to be back in the day. So do we spend too much time making the exquisite products? Yeah, yeah. And we actually changed the world. Like we, we define the future. Raptor did that. F-35 is changing minds all around the world and it's driving multi-mission uh, multi ops, right? We're going to have not just joint operations, but we are going to change the future, start throwing in drones at some point. Nobody else could have imagined that. So sorry for the background noise. I have a, a two-year-old puppy that's really badly behaved, scratching at a door. <laughs> um, oh, do we spend too much and too much time? Yeah, probably. Do we change the world? Absolutely. 
and and throwing more airplanes up there that's what the chinese are going to do against us they're going to throw crappy j20s out there and and uh whatever else they can and bender's going to have to shoot three to one four to one out there what about five to one or six to one I'm going to need more missiles. That's, that's yeah. the beef. Well, I, I, I was wondering when we were going to get there. Them, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So when do we get into the missile talk? I want to know why we only have four missiles. <laughs> How did that pass your test, Billy? You're like, nope, send it back. Sidekick. Six missiles. Yeah, bring me sidekick. Come on. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm an American studies background, so I have no like dog in this fight at all. But I want thrust vectoring and I want eight missiles. So somebody make it happen for me. <laughs> yeah, I need more missiles. Um, can I throw something just in your pa- out because I don't want to lose it? Um, the ejection seat in F 35 and the arm restraints that word of mouth from Hill says that they came from the B model. And that actually. That's it. that's we need to go to Luke because that is what they teach you egress, like at Luke. Like this is from the B model, which none of that's true. Yeah, interesting. None of that's true. Uh, Martin Baker sixteen, which is the same. It's really the same ejection seat that's in Typhoon. A fabulous ejection seat. Very laborious strap-in procedure. It's it's very British. If you've ever flew a Brit Hawk or Tornado or even actually a Canadian Hornet in the earlier Martin Baker series. It's just a migration of uh, or enhancement or improvement of those seats. Um, leg garters, every Hornet guy's used to strapping in these running lines through the garters along their calves and along their thighs, which bringing the legs during ejection. And then in Tornado, we had arm restraints and, and it's to bring the arms in so that there is an arm flail, uh, especially during high speed ejections. And there's a case so way back in your Viper lore, you may have remembered the story of a guy at Eglin going, I'll butcher, butcher the story, but he was like 840 knots somewhere out over the water. You know, the engine threw a bunch of blades, uh, airplane disintegrated. He ejects or gets thrown out and he dr- he drowned and he drowned because his shoulders, well, his shoulders are broken because his arms have flailed. Sea Wars didn't activate and he ended up drowning because he didn't have any control of his hands. And it's the arm flail conversation at high speed ejection. So in the Martin Baker 16 seat, like Typhoon has, which I flew and then got into this airplane and go, hey, same ejection seat. Um, it has passive leg restraints. So the, the, the netting is up around where we put our feet so that when we pull the ejection seat, it's gonna, those wo- ropes or wires or cords are gonna come in and bring our legs in. We don't have, um, active garters like we did in the Hornet and the arm restraints, it's going to drive those things to bring our arms in. So we're not going to suffer arm flail and damage in high speed ejection. There's nothing to do with the B model, nothing to do with the B model. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the strap in procedure. It's, it's very British and Brits uh, in how they design things. It's all driven by scientists and engineers and not by operators. But the reality is, it's a really effective ejection seat and the logic of keeping the pilot's legs from flailing and the arms from flailing is, is really sound. So that's where the arm restraints and all of that come from. Now there is thermal overload that happens because Brits don't deal in 110 degree heat at Edwards Air Force Base or Yuma, Arizona or Luke, and we're freaking hot walking to a jet, right? 
like we're boiling because we're wearing a big jacket on top of a big G suit, which by the way is better than any American G suit I ever wore. Uh, it, um, it has an unfortunate name. Um, they're called faggots, um, full coverage anti G trousers. I told the Brits way back when, when that's an unfortunate name. You need to change that. But but it's an amazing G suit. <laughs> amazing G suit. Uh, and and it's just hot for us to wear. Very British. We can't probably change that right away. We probably should have tried harder. Uh, but the whole ensemble and the ejection seat work like we know so far, it's pretty damn good. I mean, that's a pretty good yeah. testament to how good that seat is. That was a spicy spot to be in. Yeah. I didn't want yeah. to say you at least can't blame the canopy bow on the B model, right? We can at least point the, we at least dog on the Marines yes. here just a little bit. Yes. But no, that seeing that ejection seat work last week or two weeks ago in Fort Worth and him walk, I mean, safe from it is pretty impressive. So years ago, I did. I was in the Isle of Man off the coast of the United Kingdom, and I was given us. I was talking about uh, Auto Gcast, and I got a tour of the facility that builds the propellants that go in the ejection seats. And at the very end, it was all very nice to go. Through. It was pretty fun to go through this factory. But at the end, they had every Martin Baker ejection seat from one to sixteen, and it's the first time that I've actually seen that all we're sitting on. Our rock, our mortar shells, right? We're that's all the sophistication of the sequenced ejection. That's a crock. It's that's just three different size mortars that you're sitting on, and the early ones, like a Martin Baker two or three, you're just sitting on one mortar shell, and it's just firing underneath your butt, and it doesn't give you any more confidence to fire so, to find out that you're sitting on three mortar shells in a Martin Baker sixteen seat. Now, if he, if I'd ever seen that before, I started flying. I wouldn't have flown ejection seats. <laughs> hey, so what? Um, <laughs> I was, I we're, we're probably getting close to our time, but there was two oh, yeah. things that uh, Bender sent. That well, actually, three things Bender sent. So I don't know if we have enough time to go through them. But one, Bender brought up a good point. He wanted to share something about the paveway and its origin because he studied on that. There was a Vader and Bender story from his iPug DCA ride. But then we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but it'd be a great time. This Billy just kind of crushed one of these WAMs that we brought up in the last bro chat with the B model and the arm restraints, but like a Bender and Billy time where Bender can bring up something from the F-35 and then Billy can correct him. Yeah, that's pretty much everything I know about the F-35. Probably another podcast series. Yeah, uh, that's pretty funny. No, I'll skip the, we can talk about the paveway too later, but um, yeah. I do need to throw an instant justice out at Vader. I've been waiting a long time for this. So it's uh, not instant. It's always just, it is yeah. just, I don't know. I'd like to hear Vader's side. I even though I've heard it multiple times, but I was in my instructor pilot upgrade, which was pretty traumatic for me. Cause I'm not very good at what I do, but I was towards the end in the defensive counter air uh, mission. So I think I had that one. And then I had like, three seed rides. And then I was going to be done finally. And so this DCA mission though, was, it was like one of our like Misawa standard. We brought up a couple of squadrons from where was it? Kadena. So there were some C models. There were Japanese C models. There were Japanese F2. So it was this huge LFE, two lanes, tankers in each lane. AWACS was there. So my mission prep for this DCA ride was just like extensive. Uh, so we put all this effort in and we get to the fight and we're like shooting stuff and killing things. And, 
like we're just raging. I'm like winning hard, so to speak. Uh, and then from across the lane is Vader. He's the red air flight lead. So an eagle shoots Vader, calls him dead. Vader acknowledges the kill call. And then as he's turning to go back to the red regen point, he crosses the lane. He sees me in the other lane. And he just for fun, he just shoots at me a couple of times, which is a spins violation because you're supposed to drop lock CCA and then go back to your old point. So Vader shoots me and then he goes back to his point in the debrief. We think Vader's dead, but it turns out that that Eagle guy's tapes did not run. So he's like, stop. I called the kill here. It's like, my tapes didn't run five bucks. So they're like, okay, well, you're going to kill or move colored. And Vader's like, well, actually I have, you know, a factor time or whatever. He's like, <laughs> I took shots at Bender after I was dead. So I'm going to call those. So I get whited out and killed in this stupid debrief. And so we get back to my individual four ship debrief. My flight leads like, or my instructors like, Hey, that was pretty good. Like, good job. Put that all together. Like target didn't get bombed. We did really well, but you died and you can't die in an iPug ride. So you're going to see that one again. And I lost it. <laughs> thank, you <later. laughs> so, thank you for that. It was awesome. I'm so sorry. I, I do apologize. I was, I was, I think I was trying to challenge the title. So anybody from Misawa knows what I'm talking about. But uh, so our first patch, Bender's in my first patch, Jikto, awesome dude. Um, well, I was super young. I don't even think I was out of MQT or if I was, it was very shortly after. And he's like, big day, big day. And he's like tightening up his G suit because he's the patch. And our DO was a black border patch and he was red air. So our, our Jikto was red air that day. And he's like, I'm going to challenge the title. Like you always have to try to kill like the most tactical dude on the other side on blue air just to like, Hey, you know, like see if I can. So I apologize for doing that on your instructor pilot upgrade and really just not shut my mouth and, uh, and letting it go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, have, I have a factor time. I would like to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah I need out. everybody to know. Yeah. I was sorry. Nah, it, was, it was fine. It was a good memory. I was probably going to see it again just because that was how the iPug was going for me. But that was like one of my stronger rides. I'm like, mother effer. You Can't know, one it. of my, the cherry, the uh, silver lining here was uh, C models were uh, repping a pretty at that time. Cause this was like 2015. Like it was, it was a long time ago. Uh, we're repping a pretty advanced threat at the time and the samurai. So the other squadron in Masawa were in the bullpen, just capping. So they were technically part of the fight, but they didn't think they were part of the fight. So the C models, instead of targeting the guys, in the lane, just shot the guys capping. So the samurai have like two people killed while they're just sitting there in the cap because the C model shot them at range. And we're like, Hey, you didn't maneuver. So you're dead. And that made me as bad as I feel for you, Bender, for doing that. I feel that good about them getting killed in the bullpen. Because that <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was good. It's good memories. <laughs> Yeah, Masao was pretty pushed up. There was some good, good air-to-air airspace, so you could get a lot of jets out there fighting each other. It was awesome. I mean, it was like automatic 120-mile look, like, every day. It was good. So, Bill, you said, you said sidekick. The, uh, so, it's going to be six, six AMRAMs in the weapons base? Yeah. Uh, plumbed for lot 15 and later, if I have my numbers right. <clears throat> Three in each in the bay. Uh, and it, it, it just stuffs them in there. There's not, so Bender's been there. There's not a lot of room. You put a 2000 pound bomb and a MRAM in there. <clears throat> it's pretty impressive how tight it is. 
Uh, and it's a pretty impressive engineering feat to put three missiles in each bay and make it all work the way the contraption's set. But um, everybody knew that we needed we need more missiles. So yeah, sidekick and sidekick's an answer for a lot of people and a lot of nations. It's a big deal in Canada when we talk about the hordes coming over the Arctic, you know, the North Pole and and coming in the Arctic. It's everybody in Isles and well, you know, everybody needs more missiles. So. Uh, it's a factor for the entire F-35 uh, family. Is that from Block 15 and on, or is that a modification? Mm-hmm. The the modification to be able to accommodate it, because it, it it there's structural elements of that, or where it feeds in, but we're happening in Lot 15 in the builds. That doesn't mean that they, they're not coming out with, um, with Sidekick there, but you had to, gotcha. you had to get into the structure of the airplane through the weapons bays um, to create the stability, I guess you'd say. So that's where the, the they, it pushed in. Yeah, interesting. So is that is that pretty much the future six by O? So no heat taking missiles for the thirty five. Mm-hmm. Ask Bender about that, but I'm I'm thinking you're six by two. But yeah, it just depends on the threat environment. Six by O, if we're trying to you know be our best LO. And then six by two, if we're not as worried about that. So we'll see. Yeah, it's a, it's a small weapons bay. Honestly, like it's impressive. Like a GBU-12 in there feels like it, you know, there's not room to, you can't barely do a walk around and like check all the stuff you're supposed to check. You actually um, check? Yeah, I definitely check. There's some <laughs> stuff I, that, that like I can open the checklist and like look at stuff. So I, I definitely check that. As far as my actual walk around, especially in the F-35, it's like, I got nothing for you. Like it looks like, like yeah, there's almost wings. nothing to look at. Yeah. It's got mm-hmm. wings. I do squeeze the, the, I probably shouldn't do that, but the nozzle, I'm like, yep, that's, you know, it moves <laughs> a little bit. So yeah. good for it. Uh, none of just jump in it, but, uh, yeah, it's a, I don't know. They, there is goodness, obviously to the F 35. It is, especially now that I've, you know, talking to the guys who flew it early that had to deal with some like the G limits and the descent, like you, they can only descend at a certain like foot per minute, all that stuff. Like what a nightmare, but now it's pretty, you know, it's, it's been through all those paces. So it, it's pretty full up. You can, you can be like me and do what you want in it. It, it seems to handle it. Okay. What I don't do is red ball and I'll red ball and I don't code to this airplane because they just tell you to turn it off and turn it back on. And I don't got time for that. So I'm like, somebody else is going to turn it back on and then it will just be a red ball if it's a code too. So we'll figure it out later. <laughs> Don't tell anybody I said that. We might want to edit that part out. Yeah, yeah we'll definitely <laughs> edit that out. We a robust editing studio, so it should be fine. <laughs> F-35 was a product of concurrency, right? Block 60, we did the same thing. It, and we started rolling aircraft off the lines quicker as soon as they were built while we were developing the airplane. So the early block airplanes were not really impressive with lots of restrictions. And the, the, the example, the, the contrast would be Raptor. Raptor, which had everything done all these years of pain at Edwards and, and into OT before they finally started producing the airplanes. And at some point, you know, it gets canceled and there's 189 or whatever built, you know, stop short. Where in F-35, there's some pretty mm, uh, clairvoyant people running the show way back when who said, we want these jets off the line as soon as possible. And oh, by the way, we want them built in 46 of 50 states. So there's there's a lot of uh, support from congressmen in and to keep this thing going. 
right? And that that engineering mindset of we want everybody involved, we're not going to let this thing get canceled, and we want airplanes off the line as quick as possible. There's some positive elements of that. The Marine Corps got their airplanes, and immediately, um, so Chip Burke had been a, a, a Hornet guy, had been an aggressor. He did uh, F-22 OT as a Marine, and then he was a squadron commander at Eglin when they first got their jets. And and he basically took them all in the vault. They threw away all their Harrier and Hornet manuals and started learning from Raptor. And the way they learned to employ F-35 in the beginning, the B model, the Marines are treated treat like a Raptor. We're going to start thinking fifth gen right from the beginning. We're not just going to migrate from our fourth gen platforms. And so those guys got way ahead of the maturity of the jet, just developing tactics and starting to think about what you, how you'd manage the airplanes. If you look at some of the partner nations that got airplanes early, like Australia, so they got early lot airplanes, but but they got to see fifth gen early in an air force that had only had super hornets, legacy hornets, and oh by the way, way back when F one elevens, and they got to think fifth gen long before or way ahead of the game. And when the mature jets showed up, well, they had a cadre that knew what the heck they were talking about, and they knew how they trained to this and 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 how to how to mature guys and how to mature the product and how to integrate it with the rest of the military. And in their case, they have Wedgetail. How are you going to fit with Wedgetail? How are we going to use our growlers? And so there was an advantage to concurrency to allow the operators to get hands on the platform early. Now, there's a problem of having those early lot airplanes around now. You might as well send them to Nellis and be aggressor airplanes because they're, they're not going to be at Hill. But that early look, I think paid off for a lot of the forces. Not everybody had the luxury of the U.S. Air Force with Raptors and fifth gen brains, you know, to just migrate them into F-35. They had to start from scratch and and they did a bunch of learning along the way. If you go talk to the Dutch, they're pretty full up right now and they were early players in F-35 and I'm sure they appreciated the early look at the airplanes. Uh, And that's what concurrency brought. Just to throw that out there. Oh, that's good. Uh, can I, before we leave, I'll give you one more thing to, to Bender because you're with the snakes. Um, in my day as a Hornet guy, I spent a lot of time at Hill, mm, my squadron stealing stuff from the bar there, uh, drinking bad bourbon with the squadron commanders of the day and them stealing stuff from my squadron when they came up to Cold Lake, Alberta. Because I had a really young squadron. I had uh, great majors, but really young, talented captains that had no SA. And the amazing Viper dudes back in the day of, of Brillo, Mike Brill and all those guys would come up and be amazing mentors and IPs, teaching BFM and full-on ACM and, and teaching our guys and letting them grow with really masterful fighter pilots as, as, the, as their mentors. And in all of that, there was significant stealing of paraphernalia back and forth. And I'm leading to a story because after I retired at Lockheed, I got a call from, so everyone that doesn't know, Mike Brill at the time, the high time uh, Viper guy for a long, long time, uh, at a mainstay at, at Hill forever and ever, like hardcore fighter pilot. Um, on my change of command and my retirement at Cold Lake, they came up and, and stole this one-of-a-kind um, crest of my squadron that was a stained glass window like you would see in a church. 
and they stole it and took it back on uh, on the KC-135 that had been up there. And it has been it had been in the squadron or at Mike Brill's house at Brill's house for 20 years since I left. And he <laughs> called awesome. me up and said, like, okay, dude, uh, I'm not part of your squadron and your stained glass window of your squadron, you know, your your crest is is getting in the way and you need to come get it. So a couple of years I flew out to uh, I flew out to Hill and uh drank some beers because these guys were the most astonishing Viper guys in the day like an amazing squadron that everybody wanted to be like and be part of. And I hand carried this huge stained glass window of my crest back through American airlines flights to uh, Hill to DFW, DFW to, to Washington and, uh, and then packed it and made sure it didn't break in the car ride back to my home at PAX um, as, cause it had been liberated <laughs> by those guys um way back when and uh, they just wanted to make sure i got it back in one piece now i have great fortune yeah. for your unit yeah it's a good it's a good unit now and it does have a reputation especially like the old viper days that it was just a raging unit uh that's i'm glad you found it because there was a storeroom full of old paraphernalia that we just pretty much <laughs> chucked <laughs> like we saw, i was afraid we were gonna go into like hey can you go look and see if you can find it <laughs> so, happy ending that's awesome uh, yeah it's a great squadron it's a it's an i mean i'm I got, I, snuck, I joke all the time in the squadron, but nobody laughs because I think it's true. <laughs> but I'm like, somehow I snuck in the the interview board where it just wasn't very competitive and I got in. <laughs> Phew. But it, yeah, it's still, it's still a pretty high bar to get into the snakes, which is, it's awesome. I mean, every, every single dude in that squadron is just full up, good person, lots of experience, great attitude. So I'm, I'm lucky and happy to be there for sure. Yeah. Love it. Well, you guys got anything else or should we uh, wrap this one up? I'm good. Thanks, Rain. <laughs> yeah. Billy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it was awesome to meet you, Billy. It's full yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. You're more than entertaining listening to, so keep it up. It's uh, it's comic relief every time I uh, listen to you guys. So thanks for having me. An, an untruth into every bro chat from now on about the F-35 <laughs> just to see how quickly you can respond to Rain. <laughs> like, you guys are so dumb. Stop saying yeah. them. Stop using yeah, words. Stop it. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> awesome. See you guys. See you. Thanks, Thanks, so much for Thanks for listening today. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. As always, I ask if you're enjoying this content, leave a comment, leave a rating or review wherever you're consuming this podcast. I truly appreciate it. And I'll see you next time.